I'm Renee Evans, co-senior leader of Bethel Austin. Make sure that you like and subscribe to our weekly sermons so that you don't miss what is happening here at Bethel Austin. We pray that this message inspires and encourages you. And most of all, we pray that you would have an encounter with the living God today. All right, how you guys doing? I, uh, man, it was good this morning. It was good last night. It was good this morning. I, uh, I actually didn't want to preach. It was so good this morning, which you got to realize is rare for preachers, right? We like to preach, and um, but man, it was so good. But I do believe God's got something for us this morning. I, I can feel his weight. Anybody else feel his weight in this place this morning? And I actually, I actually believe there's, there's weight on his word, Amen. Uh, the way we worship, the way we experience His Word, all that's interconnected and all of it's really important to who God wants us to be. But I really do feel like God has something to speak to us uh, to this morning. And um, I would encourage you guys on the equip classes, get, it, get in those equip classes. Uh, there's, we really get to go into detail on those things. That revivalist class, we've got eight different teachers that are going to be taking different revivals and different revivalists and really bringing something uh, I'm going to either do Wesley or uh, um, uh, Finney. I'm not sure which one. Probably Wesley. Uh, my great, great, great grandfather was friends with, with John Wesley. And uh, he was an author and a preacher. And he helped uh, John, uh, John Wesley establish the Methodist church way, way back. And um, so I'm going to, I don't have a lot from him, but I've got a lot of stuff on Wesley that I may be sharing. And there's going to be other guys sharing on revivals and revivals in there. So sign up for that. It's a really a part, important part of our culture that we get into the, uh, the history of revival because it gives us, some, it gives us some, some meat on different things that God's done through history and that he could do these things again. Amen. And he's done some amazing things. But I'm going to... I'm gonna, um, speak this morning. I'm going to get into the, uh, uh, the book of, of Job. And so um, there's some powerful things I believe that God wants to speak to us. Now, as I go through this, if, if I call Job Job, uh, just everybody relax. My wife will correct me. Don't worry. Right? She's right there. She's going to be like, you just said Job. So if I say that, because for some reason I want to call Job Job. I don't know if anyone else has these kinds of problems, but I just want to so bad. Um, I, I don't understand why. It's like a magnet. It's like, don't say job. And anyway, if I do, just relax. You know what I'm talking about. I'm such a great theologian, right? But, uh, but Job was, <laughs> he was from a place that we, we don't know much about, if anything, really, called us. That sounds kind of cool, right? Job from us. And um, that's where he was from. And uh, he was a, a, a blameless and upright man. He feared God and turned away from, from evil. He had seven sons and he had three daughters. He was wealthy, extremely wealthy. The Bible describes his wealth. He had uh, lots of sheep and camels and oxen and donkeys and the things that represented wealth of that day. And... Um, you know, in Texas, I guess we could kind of relate to that with cattle, right? You know, I used to have a herd of cows way back. I am a Texan, and um, I grew up. I was a part, I was a member of the Junior Simmental Association. And so, um, 
Yeah, believe it or not, I, I've lived in cities for a long time, but I'm really from East Texas, and we had cows, and I had I had a herd. Do what? Stacy's talking to me. Did I say job again? No, I'm kidding. <laughs> oh, it's coming out. It is. But I can relate here. He's he's got all these things. He was known as uh, the greatest of all people in the East, um, and so. We see that this story here, it starts with this scene. It's actually a heavenly scene, and it talks about these sons of God, which uh, is believed to actually be uh, angels, angelic beings, and they're presenting themselves before God. But as they're doing this, Satan is, is walking around in this, this place, in this heavenly scene. And so we're going to pick it up right here in uh, uh, Job 1.8. And this is a fascinating passage to me. It says this. It says, And the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job, that there is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil? This is what God's saying about him. And then Satan answered the Lord and said, Does Job fear God for no reason? Have you not put a hedge around him and his house and all that he has on every side? Have you? You have blessed the work of his hands and his possessions have increased in the land. But stretch out your hand and touch all that he has and he will curse you to your face. Verse 12. And the Lord said to Satan, behold, all that he has is in your hands. Only against him do not stretch out your hands. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. So, so basically in this passage, God gives Satan permission uh, to do everything but, but kill um, Job. And I find it interesting here because I'm like, man, what? this is kind of intense. It's like, uh, I mean, God said, he sees Satan walking around. He's like, hey, Satan, have you considered this guy? I'm like, whoa, man, I'm glad I'm not, I don't want to be that guy. But God picked his best, right? He picked the one who was the most upright. He picked the one who was, uh, who was, who was walking with him. And, um, and he, put, he pushes him up and says, hey, have you considered him? And the story goes on that, um, that this, and it gets pretty intense here. His entire family is killed, all of them. Every single one is killed. Um, all his wealth was stolen. Um, and then he ends up with sores all over his body. And um, his friends didn't even recognize him. He had so many sores on his body. And it got so bad that his wife said to him, why don't you just curse God and die? Wow, right? Let's, it's like, man, let's just get it over with, Job. But it, and, and then his friends, they come and, and they're, they see him and they, it says that they wail. Like he looks so bad that they're crying. And then they sit with him for seven days and never say a word because it's so intense what's happening to him. And um, later we know that God was not happy with the advice they began to give him. Um, but we'll talk about that in a little bit. But as we look at this, I, I do want to preface something and I want to say something here. It's, it's important to be careful and not try to make a, a doctrine or a wrong theology around this experience that Job was having. I, I don't think it's typical, and I don't limit God on anything, but I don't think it's typical that uh, he says, hey, Satan, why don't you just 
I'm going to just push him out here, and you can do anything you want to do. I don't think this is a typical scenario, but there are principles and things that we can learn about this in this intense scenario. All right? But we don't want to, we don't want to build a wrong theology. I've, you know, I've seen people, they build their understanding about sickness around this experience that Job had. And so we, got, we need to understand that this was a specific experience to his life and something God was doing in that very moment for a purpose, and we don't want to apply all of our situations and things to what's happening here, although there are great principles we can live by that we're going to find out here. Amen? I think that's really, really important. And so, um, I say that saying, though, that we do go through trials. Anybody ever been through a trial? Right? Probably weekly, (laughs) daily. Um, So, we do go through these trials, and, um, and sometimes... I think one of the things we can learn that we're going to look at here is we, we really want a reason that we're going through the trials, right? And uh, I think if we could just have a reason, or we could even have some theology of why we're going through it, um, that would make us feel better, but we're going to learn some things about God here. And one of these things is, if you find yourself in a trial, if you find yourself in a hard situation, uh, to just continue to praise God through it. And that's essentially... God picked his best and said, hey, I got a guy that uh, no matter what you do to this guy, this guy will continue to praise me. He won't stop. He is not going to turn on me. No matter what, he will continue to praise me, no matter what's taken away from him. And we can see that here in this passage. And um, so I think it's important not to always have to figure everything out. We got to be okay with that. I mean, I do know that sometimes I end up in situations because I've made bad choices. Anyone ever done that? But that's not a lot to figure out. It's kind of easy for me to figure out where I made the bad choice, and I end up in that situation. But God is such a good God. I have found over my walk with him that even in my bad choices, God is actually still good, right? I've actually seen him take a bad decision that I made, and he actually turned it and he let the whole thing work out. And I'm like, God, you know, I, I surely didn't deserve that, which is true. But God is so good that even sometimes in our mistake, well, oftentimes in our mistakes, he will turn it for good if our hearts are turned towards him. Amen. And so I think it's important to recognize that. But, but Job here, he was, he was looking as any of us would as he's going through this. He's wondering why this is happening to him. And again, his friends came and they basically said, uh, listen, this is so bad. I'm just paraphrasing a little bit here. This is so bad. And this goes on for chapters. Like there's chapter after chapter of his friends when they finally begin speaking. Um, uh, basically saying, this, this must be you. You must have done something really wrong for this to happen to you, Joe, because this is so bad that, that that's the only thing that we could think of. And uh, we find out later that God was actually very upset with that answer. And so we know that Job was also just trying to figure this out. Like, what is happening to me? Just like we all would, right? And so there's this whole thing going on. The friends come. They're saying all this stuff. And God is not saying anything, but finally he inserts himself into it. And I want to pick up on where he inserts. And what I want to do, this is about 40 plus chapters, so I'm not going to go through them all, but I want to pick up, and I just want to throw out, if it's okay, some statements that God makes about himself to Job. That good? 
You okay with that? And let me just read the first part of this. Verse um, 1 of chapter 38. It says, um, Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, Who is this that darkness counsels by words without knowledge? Dress for action like a man. I will question you and, make, and you make it known to me. Sounds like a men's event to me right there, right? So dress for action like a man. God's like, man, this is about, I'm about to say something here. And so get ready. And he says, where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who determined its measurements? Surely you know or who, or who stretched the line upon it. Or, or what were its bases sunk? Or who laid its cornerstone when the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy? It's getting real, right? God had some, he has some great one-liners here, right? I mean, there's some great ones. So let's, let's keep, y'all want to keep going? Verse 12, have you commanded the morning since your days began? And calls dawn to know its place. Whoa. All right. Verse 16. Have you entered into the springs of the sea or walked in the recesses of the deep? Verse 17. Have the gates of death been revealed to you? Or have you seen the gates of deep darkness? Listen, there's stuff that we don't comprehend you know that? There's stuff that we don't even know exists in the heavenly realm. I think we know actually very little of what exists in the heavenly realm. But we're getting these little glimpses of things here. He says, verse 18, have you comprehended the expanse of the earth? Declare if you know all this. Verse 19, where is the way to the dwelling of light? And where is the place of darkness? that you may take it to its territory and that you may discern the path to its home. Verse 22, have you entered the storehouses of the snow or have you seen the storehouses of, of the hail which I have reserved for the time of trouble and the day, for the day of battle and war? Verse 25, who has cleft a channel for the torrents of rain and a way for a thunderbolt? Wow. Whoa, that's a good one. <laughs> Amen. 28, has the rain a father or who has begotten the drops of dew? For whose womb did the ice come forth and who has given birth to the frost of heaven? Verse 31, can you bind the chains of Pallades or loose the cords of Orion? Speaking of the, the stars. Verse 33, do you know the ordinances of the heavens? Can you establish, this is a powerful one, their rule on earth? Can you send forth lightnings that they may go and say to you, here we are? Obviously, there's some stuff I don't understand. Who has put wisdom in the inward parts or given understanding to the mind? I'll tell you what, nobody can understand that, right? There's no scientist in the earth that can really understand how all this works and how it all got there. I mean, there's little pieces, whatever, but no one really gets it. I mean, God did it, right? He, he put wisdom in the inward parts and he's given understanding to my mind. He created my mind. And so it keeps going and going and going and God says, says all these things. But what I want to point out to you is that God was making these declarations 
about himself. And um, jo- uh, Job was experiencing, I did it. I did it, doggone it. I did it. I just wanted to see if Stacy was paying attention. Doggone. I know, <laughs> I was just thinking. <laughs> so, thank you for that, doing a good job. Only Don, my friend Don, he's, if, if you're ever around Don, he's like a pun master, so that, that was classic right there, thank you for that. <laughs> so, he's experiencing, I want you to think about this, this is an encounter with God. He, he's having a face-to-face encounter with God. And he's not just getting little snippets of words, like he's, God is, is speaking directly to him. And he's experiencing the greatness of God in this passage. And so this is this very direct, amazing encounter with God is declaring who he is. And he's doing it in these series of questions. And it's super powerful. And God is, God is so utterly unique. He's truly like nothing we've ever seen or heard. And we have experienced him but there's so much more. And so God is infinite in his, I want to just say it like this, he's infinite in his largeness or his greatness, or we can really bring it down, his bigness, right? So he's, he's very, he's, he's, he's more than we could ever think or imagine or even fully understand. And so uh, Job is having this all moment with God and God is revealing himself. And the amazing thing is that this holy, utter, unique God who is so awesome in the greatness of his power is actually approachable, and we can actually approach him through Jesus, which is amazing, right? And there's like this tension sometimes between this holy, awesome, powerful God that we get these amazing descriptions of in the, in the Old Testament and the understand, our understanding of, of Jesus and the Lamb of God. And I think we need both of those things to have a proper understanding and relationship with God. We need to understand him as the lion. He is someone to be in awe of. He is to be feared. I mean, he, he is amazing. He is powerful. And we need to have that, that proper awe of him. Amen. Right? So, you know, we think of him, he's our friend. This is so true. The lamb, he's our friend. He's so approachable. He's so accessible. He's, he's right there for me every day. Yes, that is so true. But we, in that, we don't want to lose that, that honor, that respect, that awe for who he is. Amen. And we can, we can kind of get in a mode where it's like, oh, Jesus is my friend. He's my friend. And, 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 and which is truth, but we need to maintain and hold that tension of, yes, he's my friend, but he's also the commander of everything. Amen? Amen? He commands it all. He commands the winds. He commands the sea. The world spins because of him. And yet, he's so approachable. And let me just say this. When I understand his awesomeness, it actually adds value to my understanding of how approachable he is. Because you know what happens to me? I go, God, you're amazing. You're amazing. You're amazing. And wow, you actually let me approach you. As awesome as you are, 
I get to know you. And so that tension creates that. Ready to keep going? All right, so we see this, we see God is doing this, and there's, there's a lot more there. You can go back and read all 42 chapters if you want. And, um, but there's two responses that come out of Job. And in each response, there's this progression that I want you to catch here. And then I'm going to get to what I'm actually talking about. All right. But I'll get there before noon. All right, we're on good. We're doing good here. So there's this progression. There's something in these responses that you're going to see. There's something happening inside of him as he has this encounter. When you encounter God, something happens. I was encountering God all through worship. I wasn't even singing. I couldn't sing. Tears just streaming down my face. Something happening inside of me as I encountered God. Something happens inside. It doesn't leave us the same. His first response is in um, chapter 40, verse 3. He says, Then Job answered the Lord and said, in verse 4, Behold, I am of small account. What shall I answer you? I lay my hand on my mouth. I have spoken once and I will not answer twice, but I will proceed no further. So the first encounter is like, I'm just going to shut up. I have experienced this awesome God. I'm having a face-to-face encounter. He's made these declarations. He's asked me these questions and I don't, I, I have nothing else to say. And this is actually powerful. This was, God was not belittling him, Right? I mean, we are a powerful people. But what was happening is Job is seeing God for who he is. And when we see God for who he is, we will realize how small we actually are. Now, that doesn't mean we're not important. We were so important that he died for us, right? But, but we do need to understand that in the scope of everything that he is and who he is, we are very small. And so there are levels of encounters when you go, whoa, God, you, I am of small account. And that's not to destroy your identity. That's actually to bring you into the right identity. When we begin to understand how big God is, we then, and we begin to understand that we are of small account, and then we begin to understand what he's invited us into and who he's made us to be, then that's where there's tremendous power that comes. And so we see here this first response. So Job, is, he's, he's, he's just dumbfounded, right? He's, he's silent. He's seen the magnificence of God, and he's, he just can't say anything. But I want you to look at, at, at the response number two. A few things, chapters later. Job 42.1 says, Then Job answered the Lord and said, I know that you can do all things, and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Who is this? that hides counsel without knowledge. Therefore, I have uttered what I did not understand, things too wonderful for me which I did not know. Hear, and I will speak. I will question you, and you make it known to me. I have heard you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eyes see you. Therefore, I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. So, So, again, Job has this moment with God, and there's this repentance that flows uh, out of him. 
And so he's moving in this passage from being dumbfounded to revelation. I want you to catch something here. When you see the awesomeness of God, it'll silence you. But God doesn't want us to stay in that place. He wants to bring then revelation. Amen? And so, um, and, and the revelation is this. God, God actually never answered uh, Job's questions, at least the way that he expected. Um, in fact, God was like answering his questions with questions. <laughs> Anybody ever do that to you? <laughs> Well, he's answering his questions with questions, which actually didn't fully answer his questions. But this encounter with God answered his questions. Um, Job says, I will question you and what? You will make it known to me. So God didn't answer his questions. He just made himself known. To Job. He says, I've heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eyes see you. Sometimes we want an answer by the hearing of the ear, when what we actually need is just to see him. Seeing In seeing him is the answer that you need. So God can answer all your questions. And what was his question? Why am I going through this? Why is this happening to me? God gives him no verbal answer, but Job knew when he saw him, his awesomeness. And he, so he has this revelation that I've heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eyes see you. And that's where God wants to take us. He wants to take us to a place where we move from beyond just the hearing by the ear, the, the knowing about him per se, and into this direct relationship with him where we begin to see him for who he is. When Job saw him for who he is, all his questions were actually answered. And we've got to actually get comfortable. A lot of people want answers, right? We need to get comfortable with not having the answer, but just himself making himself known, just him making himself known to us. That's more powerful than if God gives me an answer for something that I'm asking him. Just, God, just make yourself known. When he makes himself known, the questions, they, they start to fade. Now, you got to realize, Job is still in this moment, in this place of tremendous suffering, but now he sees God. And so, we ultimately know, the end of the story, that God restores everything to him double. And he ended up living to be 140 years old. But what was happening? What was the revelation that was happening to Job? His perception of God was becoming larger. If you have a lot of questions, what God wants to do is make your perception of him larger. Listen, I can give you a lot of information about God, but you won't actually understand any of it unless your perception becomes larger. Amen? Why do we spend a lot of time in worship? Because, one, he's worthy, but it also changes our perception, and our perception gets larger. Why? Because we're encountering him face to face. Amen? And 
God wants us to understand something here, and I want to look at Psalm 34. You guys okay? You guys tracking with me here? All right. So Psalm 34, 3 says, Oh, magnify the Lord with me, and let us exalt his name together. And so this passage here, how I kind of got on this whole thing was God began to speak to me just about magnification and magnifying him. Oh, magnify the Lord. We don't think about what that means often. We sing it. It's in songs. We might read about it. But I I want you to think for a moment of what it means to magnify God. God is actually not getting any larger, right? He, God is infinite, actually. He's infinite. He's unlimited. He's beyond any, there's no scope. There's no measurement that we could actually put on him. And so God is unlimited in his scope. And so when we are talking about magnifying him, uh, we're not talking about making him bigger. It's like, oh, I'm magnifying the Lord. I'm, I'm making him bigger. What we're talking about is that our perception begin, about him begins to come bigger. Oh, magnify the Lord. And so God, you could read it, you could say it like this. Oh, make the perception of the Lord bigger with me. Oh, expand the perception of the Lord with me. And perception is interesting because a lot of our problems start with our perceiver. Did you know you had a perceiver? your perceiver. And God wants to reset our perceiver. He wants to reset. He wants to expand. He wants to enlarge how we perceive him. And um, you've heard that perception is reality. And I would say that perception defines my reality, but it doesn't define God's reality. All right? So, my perception can be what? Wrong or right. And, about, and my perception about God can be wrong or right. So sometimes we're living in this filtered reality. And I, I want to just kind of give you some examples of what can create that. Religion can actually create a filtered reality. It can be your reality, your understanding, what you think about God, but it's actually not how God is. And so oftentimes religion, church, Churchanity, whatever you want to call it, creates, it can create a wrong perception of God. Now, it can create many really good perceptions of God. But, um, but religion or, or just that religious thing can create that. Uh, life experiences, good or bad, can create a perception of God. Um, the environment that you're in can begin to create a perception of God. Again, it's neutral, it's, it's, it's not good or bad, but it can create it, depending what it is. And so these filters, these different things, and you could probably think of other things, begin to create or form our understanding of God or our, our reality, but it's not our reality about God that he wants us to live in. And this is what Job experienced. He had a reality and understanding of God. He had heard of him, but he had never seen him. And so when he began to see him, it actually changed his whole perception of the awesomeness of God. Amen? And so God doesn't want us to live in a filtered reality, but he wants us to live 
unfiltered, and he wants us to live in a clear reality, and he wants us to actually know him. And listen, a lot of stuff in church can become easily, I want to just say very easily about other things, of, and they're not about knowing him. But if, we, if you begin to go down that path, and you, you really, you have to fight in a lot of ways that, that inertia to go that direction and begin to say, you know what, I'm not just going to do church, I want to know him. I'm just not going to go to a Sunday morning service where I do some worship and I hear a message and I go home and I'm like, hey, that was a great message. Uh, no, God wants you to actually know him. And so church is not just about going and doing religious things. It's about knowing him. And so God wants to take the filters off. And so when magnification, you still with me? We're going to land it pretty soon. Magnification, when it gets turned up on my perceiver, I can see God more clearly. All right? He becomes magnified in my perception of him. And I, I said this in a message one time. I'm going to say it again. If you think God is big, you're thinking too small. If you think God's big, you're thinking too small. Because we all have certain filters on our understanding of God. There's always more that he wants to reveal to us. And so this perception of God shapes, it actually shapes our life. It shapes what we value, how we live. It sets the atmosphere that are, that's around us. It actually shapes how we handle problems. I want to say this about if you're going through a problem, your problem is actually smaller than God. But you need your perceiver adjusted if it looks bigger than God to you. Because, and you need the magnification of God to begin to happen so that that problem takes its place and it becomes much smaller. Can I give you a literal experience that I had with this one time? This is back in the early 90s. Okay, if you're a revivalist, this was pre-Toronto. This was pre-anything. One of the things that happened in the Toronto blessing is laughter. The joy of the Holy Spirit broke out. And it kind of, it went worldwide, but we were in Palestine, Texas, and none of us had ever, ever experienced, we were a presence church, Holy Spirit, all that, but none of us had ever experienced that. Now, you can look back in history and see that, but none of us knew about it. None, none of us experienced it. I'd never even heard, I'd never heard anybody laugh in church. We, now, we could cry really good, right? <laughs> and I, honestly, it, I'm over here, just, if you see me in that mode, that, my highest level encounters usually happen there's tears involved. So we encounter God with different emotions in different ways. But I'm in the, I'd had a really bad day at work, and I may have shared this here before, but I had a really bad day at work. My boss had just like, in front of everybody, just went off on me. And uh, it, it hit my pride so hard because I was kind of in this training role, but I, I, it was, I don't know, it was just a bad day. And I was like, I'm, I'm quitting. I'm sick of that. Pl- anybody ever been there? I'm so sick of that place. And I'm tired of that man. He's driving me crazy and I can't take it anymore. And he embarrassed me in front of everybody over a fax machine. And I don't remember fax machines, yeah. Something to get faxed. Anybody ever operated a fax machine? You don't always know. Like that thing goes through, you don't know. Some of you don't even know what I'm talking about. But you, don't, you hope it gets on the other end. You hear the noise and you hope it's there. Well, something didn't make it and he goes crazy. I mean crazy. He was not a Christian. He later became one and changed. Praise God. But, uh, I mean, this, this guy, 
he would, if the Coke wouldn't come out of the machine, he was the guy like shaking the machine and beating it and hitting it and crazy stuff. But I, bad day. I go to church, barely get there, and I just go lay down at the front. Suddenly my perception begins to open up. And I began to see all these, this problem. And I could see they were little tiny things running around. They were like running around, and it was hilarious. I began to laugh. I began to laugh. I mean, I was laughing my head off, and God was showing. I was like, that is the, that's the funniest thing I've ever looked. God, compared to you, they're so small. They're tiny. Look. Look at them. They tried to ruin my day, and I, look at what they're doing. They're just running. <laughs> God, you're, you're, you're so big. God, let me see how he sees those little bitty, bitty, bitty things, right? It doesn't mean he doesn't have empathy on us, but I didn't need him to like be Shane. I know it's so bad. It's so horrible. I know your life's so horrible. I, I needed the joy is what I needed, right? And that's what he did. So my perception changed. And so, um, so, so I want to say this. God increased the capacity of our, reception, of our perception. Um, and this is where I want to land. We can actually cultivate that perception. Oh, magnify the Lord with me. Oh, magnify. What does that mean? I can actually magnify the Lord. I can actually turn up my own perception of his greatness. When I wake up in the morning, I can, I can turn up the perception of his greatness. And God wants me to do that. And, and it's, he puts it in my hands to do that, and I can do that. You know, this week, we were in a meeting, and uh, my perception on Tuesday was just really low of God. And I found myself in every meeting feeling frustrated. Anybody ever been there? And you guys think, oh, ch- y'all's church staff, it's all like perfect. And, you know, like y'all just float on clouds, and you never, you never have any kind of disagreement. <laughs> Uh, uh, yeah, you need to, yeah. And I, I didn't, executive team, I'll say I'm sorry. I didn't, I didn't respond well in an executive meeting. And I, I was, and it kind of spun me and I felt spun that day. And I, I was just like, I was like, but you know what the problem really was? My perception was low of God. And so I, when our perception of gets low of God, what do we do? We react. And then we got to repent. <laughs> so I'm sorry, guys. I love y'all. Yeah, I do. I love our team. I love these guys. But uh, we got to repent sometimes. Um, but God wants to free up your capacity to perceive. Some, you need like a complete reset. Others, you, just, you need to free up some capacity in your life to perceive. And... Uh, I'm always satisfied with God, but I'm not satisfied with my capacity per- to perceive. Okay? Um, he, that's, the more of him is there. It's right there. The more of God is always available. And there's no supply that's lacking. I've just got to perceive it. I've got to perceive him. And so I want to encourage you in this. Get in a place in, in your heart every day where your perceiver of him is turned up. And if it's not turned up, find a way to get with him until it gets turned up. 
You'll be a much nicer person. You'll be a better at everything that you do. You'll begin to, to be able to do things that you never thought you would do if your perception of his greatness is turned up. And so it's important that we get in that place. One of the ways that we do that is we worship, right? One of the ways that we do it, we worship, we go after God. Man, it's being turned up in here. God, listen, he, he hasn't suddenly become bigger. We just perceive him for who he is. And that's the important thing in worship. And sometimes, I want to say this, sometimes we don't feel it. Sometimes, sometimes it feels hard. But, oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us, this is powerful, exalt his name together. There's something in the corporate experience that God wants us to understand. And that is that we can jointly together magnify his name. And when we do this together, he becomes larger and larger in our perception. And you know what I believe that revival is? Amen. I believe that revival is merely a perception shift and that God can become so strong and so large in the perception of even a city with those that don't know him that they begin to experience and run to God. Amen. But it starts with his people. If our perception's small, we can't expect our city for it to be large. Amen. And if we want there to be change, if we want people to change, we're not going to get there by pointing fingers at everybody and saying how bad you are. We will get there by increasing the perception of God in our city. Because when someone encounters with God, they change. Amen. Let's stand up. I just want to pray. And then, um, I don't, who's closing? Joaquin. Father, <laughs> wow, let us magnify your name in this place. God, may you become, I'm going to get wrecked, become bigger and bigger. May your largeness fill every single part of our hearts and our lives God, may your greatness, God, be over this place. And as a community, we want to say we magnify you. We magnify you. We magnify you. If you just want to pray that out with me, we magnify you. We magnify your holy name. We magnify you in this place. We magnify you. We magnify you. We magnify you. Yeah. Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Sermon of the Week. For more information about this podcast and other resources, please visit BethelATX.com.